Well, good morning. We are so glad that you're here this morning. I know I say it every week, but it doesn't make it any less true. We are honored by your presence, whether you're here in person or with us online. We just want to say thank you for taking time out of your week to be with us. Uh, we talked last week about how Christ inspired faith. And if you don't really know what our series, Tis the Season, is about, uh, we're kind of looking at faith, hope, and love. Not kind of. We are looking at faith, hope, and love. Uh, with the understanding that those are the three things that I think that all of us should experience during the holiday season and really throughout the year because Christ with him brought an inspired faith, brought an immense hope, and provided a love that the rest of us have never seen since or before. And so uh, I think it's really important to kind of look at these things. Now, as we said, Christ inspired faith. But he also brought people hope, and that's what we'll focus on today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 through 5. Today I'll be jumping around. I will uh, be synopsizing, I think that's a word, uh, a number of the verses. Uh, so we're not reading five whole chapters. But if you want to just kind of bounce around with us and start kind of reading through, you won't offend me at all. Uh, but this hope, like I said, that Christ brought came from the lowliest places. And that's significant because it signaled that his hope was for all mankind. And so like I said, we're going to be in Matthew today. We're jumping around from uh, in the first five chapters. Now, Matthew began with a genealogy of Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever read a genealogy in the Bible, but they are horrendously boring. Okay, it's just like Jepseth, son of Hobarth, uh, Hobarth, son of Magnesium. Uh, those are not real names, I know. But it, they just go on and they go on and they go on. And it's really easy when you're reading your Bible to get to a genealogy and be like, I'm just going to skip ahead a couple chapters, right? Or uh, I don't really know what's being said. A bunch of people were born. But Matthew starts his book with a genealogy. And it's not something that any of the other uh, four gospels do, but it, it's actually really significant. And, and inside of this genealogy, we get some really cool tidbits of information. It wasn't just simple bookkeeping. And the first thing that we hear about Jesus in Matthew's genealogy actually comes in the first verse. We know that Jesus had a connection to King David and Father Abraham, right? The geneal genealogical lines through which Christ passed at some point were touched by King David and by Father Abraham. These are two titans of Judaism. And if you look in history, these are two of the most important characters in Jewish history and Jesus is a direct descendant of both. And so from the very first verse, Matthew establishes Jesus' connection to Jewish royalty, right? And if we ever know, or if you remember, Christ talked about how when he first came, salvation was open to all men. But the first thing he said was salvation is for the Jews, right? Salvation is for the Jews. And so this connection meant a lot because it was telling the, his fellow Jews that this man was fulfilling not only the promise that God had said, but there are two covenants being fulfilled through Jesus. And he has this connection to both David and Abraham. Now, Jewish record keeping was usually patriarchal, meaning that most of the time it would follow from man to man to man to man, right? Father to son, to father to son, to father to son, and so on and so forth. Women were kind of not mentioned. But in this genealogy, there are four women that are mentioned. Four. And it's 
really important that we look at these four women. These women included Tamar, a prostitute, Rahab, a prostitute, Ruth, a foreigner. And I know that doesn't seem like it's kind of in the same category, but for the Jews back in this day and age, it would have been. Right. If you'll remember, as the Israelites moved through Exodus and they started on their trek to the promised land, every time they came across a foreign people group, they were ordered to basically do away with that entire people group. The purpose of it being to keep them pure, to keep them holy, to not sidetrack them, to not uh, have them fall into worship of pagan gods, to kind of stay on the straight and narrow. And so uh, the Jewish culture and still a lot of times in, in today's world, they kind of keep to themselves a lot. So there's Ruth, the foreigner, and then there's Bathsheba, the adulteress. If you'll remember the woman who David saw bathing on the roof and decided to take her for his own and actually had her husband murdered on the battle lines. If you've never read that story before, do yourself a favor and do it. Um, and so we see these four women that are mentioned, right? Four women that are mentioned and, and all of them, frankly, kind of have a questionable background. So in the first line of the genealogy, Jesus is connected to royalty. And then throughout the genealogy, we see Jesus connected to the outcast of society. And even if we look at Mary, there's this same question of how her pregnancy came to be, right? If you look in Matthew, it talks about how kind of the end of chapter one after the genealogy takes place. Joseph's plan is to divorce Mary. Now he loved her. He still cared for her. So he wanted to divorce her quietly, but during their betrothal period, a period where they were still, uh, and we talked about this, I think last year, but the betrothal period, they were actually sort of already married, right? Like destined to be, they weren't yet living as man and wife, uh, under one roof, but, but they were married and it was during this time. And, and they, they took this time to make sure that everyone was pure, that something like a pregnancy didn't arise during this time. She was with child. And so Joseph wanted to you know, kind of say, hey, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to start off my life this way. I want to start off my life this way. And so Jesus, being born from the very beginning, is the son of outcasts. And we all know about his origin story. He was born as a baby in a manger. There was no room in any inn, wrapped in a swaddling cloth next to the farm animals. Why is this so incredibly important? Because it establishes that Jesus is for everyone. I mean, if we look at chapter two, the Magi come and in their words in verse two, they, they wanted to know, uh, this is verse two of chapter two, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. So we're starting to go on this roller coaster of emotions, right? Where Jesus is royalty. Well, Jesus is an outcast. Jesus is royalty. Jesus is an outcast. It establishes firmly that Jesus is absolutely for every person. It doesn't matter what your status is in society. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you once did. It doesn't matter what you're doing now. Jesus is for you. And that, my friends, is hope. If you're breathing, Jesus came for you and he came to bring you hope. And so the first four chapters of, of Matthew is the genealogy and his birth. And then they go through kind of the beginning of his ministry. John the Baptist leads the way. Jesus is baptized. He collects his disciples. And then we get to chapter five, and it is the first sermon of Jesus' ministry. And it's 
often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm gonna, we're going to go verse by verse and we're going to break it down. And I want you to hear what Jesus is saying with each verse. He's saying it to the people who are in the crowd. He's saying it to you today. And he wants to say it through you to others that you come across in your life. So Matthew chapter 5 starts, starts in verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Christ is saying here is have hope. Those of you who cannot do it on your own, heaven is with you. And we've all been there. We've all felt like at some point in our life where we just can't do it alone. Anxiety, depression, loneliness. Those of you who are poor in spirit, who are downtrodden, who've been beaten up by this world, have hope because heaven is with you. Christ is with you. God is with you. And he wants to be with you. And then he goes on in verse four and it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. What Christ is saying is have hope. Those of you who are filled with sorrow for Christ has come to comfort you. We know that the biggest cause of sorrow in this world is loss. Whether that be losing a loved one, that be losing a dream, right? That be losing maybe an occupation or an ability, a physical ability to do something. Loss is the biggest cause of sorrow in our world. But Christ wants you to have hope because he came for you. He came for you and he has come to comfort you. And then he goes on in verse five to say, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Have hope. Those of you who are humble and gentle for you will be recognized. You see two people in this world who often, let me refuse this, two types of people. And sometimes and a lot of time it goes together. Those that are humble and those that are gentle were not made for this world. I mean, if we just think about it logically, we know that, right? Those that are humble and those that are gentle in this world tend to get walked all over. They tend to get abused. They tend to get taken advantage of. And Christ is saying, have hope. Don't lose that. It's godly. It's Christ-like. Be humble. Have humility. Be gentle because your recognition is coming. And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I never say that word right. Filled. They're not going to be filled. That would be really awkward. For they will be filled. Have hope. Those of you who seek what is right above what is easy, for you will experience righteousness. Those of you who, who seek to do right regardless of the circumstance you find yourself in. Those of you who seek to do right regardless of how others are treating you. Those of you who seek to do right in spite of your sinful desire to do wrong. Righteousness will be yours. It will be accounted to you. 
you will be seen as such in the eyes of God and in the eyes of Christ. And then verse seven says, blessed are those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Have hope. Those who are merciful, instead of being ruthless, you will be shown mercy. This to me is the closest thing that we get to karma in the Christian religion. But it's a principle we see in the Bible that works, which is why we see it work in other religions and throughout our world. Often what you put out into the world comes back to you. And if you will be merciful of others, you in store will be shown mercy by others. But most importantly, and this is where Christ focuses, by God and by Christ himself. And he goes on in verse eight, and we're almost done. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Have hope. Those of you who choose purity over sinfulness, you shall be seen. You shall be seen. You know, the thing about sin is sin most often, I think, happens behind closed doors. Right? You can sin a lot without people ever knowing. You can lie, you can cheat, you can steal, you can murder, you can do all of these sins, and eventually I think you will be caught. But you can do a lot of those things in secret without anyone ever knowing. But blessed are you, have hope, those of you who choose purity instead of the secret sinfulness, because you know that just because you could get away with it doesn't mean that you should. Because you are choosing God over self. And while you may look around and you see people getting ahead in this world. Winning in this world because they are acting in a way that is not godly. You must have hope and know that your reward is not here. It is not here. Then he goes on in verse nine, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Have hope. Those of you who seek peace. While so many around us seek a fight. Because we show others the peace that God has instilled within us. And that God has brought us. And in doing so, we exemplify what it means to be a Christian. So much so that we will be called children of God. Peace is an ultimate quality of God. And then in verse 10, he goes on to say, Blessed are those of you who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have hope, those of you who choose what to do, those of you who choose to do what's right, for you will receive heaven. Right? You will receive heaven. I can't think of a greater reward. Even in spite of persecution, you still choose to do right. It is seen by God. It is seen by Christ. And more importantly, it is seen by others. And then he goes on in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Have hope. Have hope. You have hope. When any or all of these things that we just mentioned can be said about you. Because I have, I have already said 
Your reward is not of this world. And it will not perish. It will not perish. It does not go away. It is not fickle. The reward is for you to have. Talk about me for just a moment. I personally, I have hope because I decided a while ago that in this dog eat dog world, I would rather be eaten than victorious. I want you to think about that. I have hope personally, me, because I decided a while ago, about 12 to 15 years ago, that in this world, I would rather be eaten than victorious. Because I think that it's more important to do what is godly than to win. Now, listen, I think that you can certainly do both. There are godly people who are also winning in this world. And when I talk about winning in this world, I'm talking about how this world views success, right? Money, power, influence, things. I think it's difficult to do both, but that's not to say that you can't do both. Both can be done. But if there's ever a choice between the two, godly has to win out. Godly must come first. I choose the hope found in knowing that by choosing characteristics of God, I will be seen. And understand that these things that we see in the Sermon on the Mount, that we see in Matthew chapter 5, they are a choice. You can choose humbleness. You can choose meekness. You can choose gentleness. You can choose righteousness over sin. You can choose peace. You can choose purity. These things are a choice to be made. And there is a prize to be had. And ultimately, that prize is hope. Christ came to deliver hope to the outcast, to the downtrodden, but also to royalty and to kings and to queens. He came for everyone to show them that there is something bigger and better and more important in this world. He inspired faith everywhere he went. We talked about that last week. He did so because he brought with him hope. Hope. Some of you personally or someone you know is living today without hope. You don't feel like you're winning. You're just trying to get by. Or they are just trying to get by. Taking it one step at a time. You don't feel like you can ever get ahead. You feel like when you choose right, it ends up going wrong. You don't feel like you're winning. In this Christmas season, in your life, I would challenge those of you who are feeling that way to change your focus from inward to outward. What do I mean by that? 
Well, the first thing I mean by that is focus on others, right? Focus on others. How can you serve others? How can you provide hope to others? How can you show others who Jesus is? How can you serve someone else? I don't know what it is about moving your focus to someone else from yourself, but it tends to improve how you feel about your current status. And I would also switch your focus to outward. And another way I mean this is by seeing yourself through the eyes of others. A lot of times, guys, we're in a situation in our life where it's really tough. But there's someone out there who envies being in the position that you're in. And I know that that can be really difficult to wrap your head around. And that can be really difficult to grasp and to see as truth. But even in your lowest of lows, there's someone out there in the world who would switch places with you. That's not to say your pain isn't real. That's not to say that you're not suffering. That's just to say that even in hard times, you can still find blessing. Hope is still present. And so in those times where, especially in this season, it's just feeling like you're losing. Your hope has been taken from you or you just don't see it. Challenge you in those times to switch that focus from inward to outward. After Jesus delivers this message and he encourages those listening to have hope in spite of their circumstances, after he, he lets them know that they will be seen and they will be known and, and that choosing right in this world is the path to take. He finishes in Matthew 14 through 16. I shouldn't say finishes, but he continues in Matthew 14 through 16 with this, these verses. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light for everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's another mind-blowing moment. Last week, we talked about how Christ inspires faith and we talked about the shepherds and, and how they believe the message that was brought to them by the angels. And I said something that I firmly believe that for people out in the world, we get to be their angels. We get to fulfill the role that the angels filled for the shepherds. Here, Christ brings attention to the fact that we get to be co-workers in his ministry, that we get to share in his message, and that we get to share in the gift that he has brought for all mankind. Because you are a light to the world. See, some of you out there, you're firm in hope. You're solidified. Pardon my French, but come hell or high water, you are not wavering. 
you are confident and you know that Christ is for you. Your faith and your hope, they cannot be touched. So what I would say to you is be a light. Be a light. In this time where others are firmly stuck in the darkness, be a light. Love them. Be there for them. Reach out to them. Serve them. Pray for them. Be a light. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day. And Father, I thank you for the hope that has come through your son, Jesus. In this world, it's so easy to focus on the things that we don't have. It's so easy to focus on our hurt and our pain and the ways that we feel like we're losing. But God, when you sent your son, Jesus came to bring hope to a world that felt that exact same way. He came to love people that the rest of the world had forgotten about. He came to remind them that who they are is more important than what they have. And God, that remaining faithful to him and faithful to you provides us the ultimate hope of salvation. We have hope today, Father, because we know that this world is not the end. We know that there is so much more in store in, it, in an eternity that's available to us. God, we have lots of people out here today, whether they're watching online or they're here in the building that are hurting. They're filled with sorrow. They're struggling to get by. And God, I just lift those people up to you today. Lord, give us opportunities to shower them with love, to remind them that they are cared for and that there is a reason for them to continue in hope. Be their comforter. Bring them peace. And if you can use us to do that, then Father, please do so. Lastly, Lord, I just ask that you put a fire in our bellies to look outward to put others first, to seek to be servants and not to be served. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I'm going to be standing up here if you need to pray with somebody. I would love for you to come pray with me. I would be absolutely honored. You can use our stage as an altar. You don't have to come pray with me. Some of you 
need a reminder of the hope that you have in Jesus. And I hope that today maybe was an encouragement to you for you to remember that you're not forgotten and your pain doesn't go unseen. Some of you don't have a relationship with Christ and you need to experience that ultimate hope, which is to say that there is salvation from our sins and that this world is not the end for us. Come speak to me about that. Otherwise, let's just stand right now in, in worship.